1: This is Rashad Penny and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Rosterwatch Nation, welcome back to the epic Rosterwatch podcast brought to you by Rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap and joining the show today, a man who you know very, very well, especially if you are out in the DFS streets, a great friend of the program, a great friend of mine personally, a degenerate who I've been doing the the USFL and the (laughs) XFL and the various uh, preseason breakdowns with over on Roto Grinders. He's the king of the projected uh, ownership over there across all sports a man of the people a social media influencer <laughs> his 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 name is chris jimino you can find him on twitter at chris jimino jimino what the hell's going on brother I did not know that I qualified as Radio Gold
2: or Epic, but I'm definitely happy to be here. And if I've reached that standard, finally, I'm considering this an achievement.
1: Well, I think uh, we've we've done so many shows together, Jim. You know, I figured you'd at least you've been on the pod or on the radio show at least at some point before. But yeah, dude, it's definitely awesome to have you on here. And um, <laughs> it's just it's funny, man. Um, whenever I think about your job, I just I the people might want to know, like. So you do the projected ownership at Roto grinders which people really depend on for um, a ton of their a ton of their insight as far as you know who's going to be on what who's on what play and during the football season I get it because during football season like for our cheat sheet at roster watch all even I'll I'll, I'll I'll even take a shot at projected ownership. You know, I can't do it quite as good as you, but I'll always go cross-check like what you're saying or what some other people are saying on on other sites and make sure I'm not way too far out over my skis. But it feels like we come to kind of the same stuff, and that's because all during the week I listen to the different um, I, I listen to different shows like on the Sirius channel. I listen to the shows on Roto Grinders. You can start to get an idea of who people are interested in, and um, you can intuit who people are going to be interested in just on the way that roster construction goes and everything but you know we have seven days to think about that like what how do you even how do you even do it for a day of baseball or a day of basketball is it this like is it the same sort of thing just on a compressed schedule or do you just have a completely different system
2: it's a different system it's narrowed down at this point in time to basic math it's you know you've set a baseline for how people believe a player is going to perform for the day we call those projections uh, across the industry and then if you don't have a better way to aggregate and come up with what the general consensus projection is you know you're you're otherwise just forming some sort of an algorithmic opinion of how people are going to choose one option over another and it's all done in spreadsheets and with scripts it's nothing particularly complicated i promise you it's just
1: you know it's it's a boring answer it's it's done via math well and well, well right but it it's not as easy as you taking like the r and d and and everything that went into getting that thing set up to where it's oh, yeah. set up to do the math that you can do that's that's where the that's where the blood sweat and tears went in but but what i mean is like so okay i'm i'm guessing that when we come into an nfl slate and you're there at roto grinders and news comes down that they say joe mixon's not playing Giovanni Bernard's forty one hundred dollars. He's going up against a, you know, I guess not. Let's just say in pre, in previous years, what, what, whatever. Um, you know, you have you can intuit that. Okay, I'm. Do you go at that point? Do you go in and manually. You can man may, maybe manually make some shifts, do some things, take from one spot, put it towards Geo stuff like that, like. Do, um, is there that same part of the pro like do you in your head basically about basketball, about baseball, whenever you hear something like Damian Lillard's out, do you have that same sort of thing where you can make those late adjustments and those moves? Are you up that late at night doing? I'm just interested in what it is that you do and how you process from day from day to day. It feels like there's so much to take in as far as ownership just on a one-day slate.
2: Yeah, there is a lot. And that's why you need some of these automated tools. But basically there's a constraint that governs all these lineups for all your dfs lineups it's the salary cap the salary cap and the positional eligibilities govern you know how many people you know, how many times you can possibly take a player if you have a running back and there's one spot available for running back you're it's a 100 of possible ownership to running back and it's just a matter of looking at all the available options and how much those players cost relative to one another and coming up with a reasonable expectation of how many times that player would get chosen over somebody else so h- how do you do it it's it's coming up like you said with some of those proprietary formulas for how do you make that math happen quickly how do you determine how many more times you're going to choose christian McCaffrey at eleven thousand dollars versus someone like Najee harris at seventy two hundred dollars i don't know i'm making up a price there yeah, but you get smart. the idea yeah. right yeah. there's you know. There's roster construction to consider. There's positional scarcity. There's slate dynamics. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, there are constraints that have to be followed. You can't possibly spend more than the amount of salary <laughs> in a lineup, and that's that's the first thing you learn. <laughs> these rules t- tend to make doing things like projected ownership possible because you're playing a game.
1: Right, right. It makes sense. I just do you have, do, but do you have to stay up until ten at night to to to, to see if Dame is going to play? Like, do you, like, is that part of your deal? Is that like the Sunday morning stuff? Like, do you have to be on this all day?
2: No, you do. And that's, that's probably the worst part about it is having to stay on it all the time. You, there's no way that you can do projected ownership. If you're in charge of it that particular day and not know what's going on, my phone's blowing up constantly with alerts. Mm-hmm. I have every imaginable information alert set up so that, that at the very least, I know when it's time to go back in and have to run something with major league baseball. It's easier. Cause you get lineups that come out at a set time of day But with football, you're getting, you know, you're doing projections early in the week to try to get a baseline. And by Friday, none of it matters because everything's changed. The practice reports have changed everything. So you're constantly having to make these shifts. And it's, you know, one of the things that I want to do more of this year is try to make more frequent updates earlier in the week. But the bottom line is that Friday update going into Saturday morning is almost
1: always the most important one. Right, yeah, for sure. And and, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Jamino has a he has a bunch of different content at Roto Grinders. But you have the ownership report on Saturdays uh, over there on the site. We kind of we walk through sort of the week what what happened, what narratives have shifted, what's changed, what's still. Going on and like you go so in you go so deep into it. I've just always wondered, man, does Jamino do this every single day for all these other sports? But kind of kind, kind of interesting to hear that part of the process there. Whenever we talk about um, you being sort of the ownership king, let's just transition into just a little bit of best ball sort of strategy in general before I ask you about some of these particular players. I know that you're right now projecting projecting the season long stuff over at Roto Grinders, and I I, I gotta I, I gotta hear the takes, Jamino. You you'll give us the takes. But for these best ball uh, tournaments, the large field tournaments, right? Um, DraftKings is going to have one. Underdog has one currently underway. Are there any things that come to you intuitively whenever you think about ownership percentage and DFS that translate to best ball large field tournaments in ways that uh, we could maybe make a unique roster? Because it does feel like. It does feel like um if you just you know if you go along with every trend or every way that people are saying you need to win these things or everything else, you might end up with similar rosters to other people who are picking in the same slots. Is there anything that you think about with what you everything you've learned with d f s ownership that might be able to help us to be unique and yet still be competitive in these large best ball tournaments? It's tough to give generalized advice because every
2: draft has its own. Elemental experience from a game theory perspective, but you're trying to balance the probability of having the most number of players that are producing game uh, qualifying scores for your lineup each week with the anti fragility of not being exactly the same roster construction wise or player selection wise as everybody else, there's no secrets anymore in fantasy football there's no longer the deep sleepers that nobody knows about you know even the guys that are down in round 17 round 18 on underdog are generally going to be the same you know variety of guys or similar variety of guys so it's all about trying to ask yourself the question when you look at the draft you made you know what have i done in this particular draft that is making me unique and stand out for so when i get to the playoff rounds 15 16 17 that my lineup isn't Matching as closely with the other lineups, it's going to match on some level. This, you know, if you made it to the playoffs, you probably have, you know, a pretty tight core of guys that ever, that did well that year. You know, there's not going to be that much variation in who's going to be in these championship rounds. But you do need to have some unique element to it. So that's where you might want to think about either how you've structured your lineup as being unique and low owned, or maybe finding one to two guys that are within that build that might not be as quote-unquote heavily owned amongst the group of players that are going to make it to the finals. That's tough. You know, there's you know, there's some guys I have written down here, like, like Trey Lance early on might not be that highly owned mm-hmm. at the quarterback position. I, I think Troutman will be owned in just about every league, but you could probably come up with some unique roster constructions around Troutman and the Saints quarterbacks that would make you a little bit different. We're going to talk about Bill's running backs later, I think. I think, you know, some of those guys – could allow you to maybe float one or one or two of your running back positions to try to go with a more uh, dynamic strategy at the wide receiver position, particularly in PPR, if you're playing on a PPR site, but you know, this is not financial advice. I'm not yet locked in on my flag plans. I'm just giving some general ideas on, you know, how, how can you answer the question, what made my lineup different so that when I get to those championship rounds, I'm not completely covered by you know six of the 12 guys
1: with unique with similar players well and it's just like i mean as i'm doing these simulations we're up to i'm about to put out version 1.3 of our of our of our redraft cheat sheet and when i'm doing these simulations over and over again now that we can pull these various adps from the different sites and the best ball composite stuff it's like let's say you're picking a slot two i can just tell you off the top of my head how those teams look it's like those you get dalvin and then at the turn you get Either Justin Jefferson, but you sometimes don't want Justin Jefferson because he's on the Vikings. And so you maybe go Michael Thomas. And then at the turn after that, you'll have a choice between a running back who you feel like you don't want to, you know, reach on like, miles sanders or you can go keenan allen right and then you go to the four or five turn and in that spot you know maybe you still have a you know you have one of a miles Gaskin or a travis etn hanging around you end up with one of those guys and then you end up with a you know a brandon iuke or a cooper cup or something like that with your fifth round pick and so i mean i can just tell you if i can look at a roster i can say like well th- that looks like one that one of the simulations that we do out of the two hole or one of the three hole because that's where the players are like do you ever think about it like that and think like man this is just where they always go I'm not going to go with one of those types of players here. I'm going to here at this 2-3 turn, if I pick a two, maybe I'll go two running backs or something like that. I'll reach on them a little bit. I know I'm not going to, you know, but I know at the 4-5, if that happens, maybe the what, what I do starts a little bit of a running back run, so maybe more wide receivers get pushed back. So maybe at that spot later on, I am looking at somebody a little higher up my board, like an Amari Cooper or a C- Something like that, to where it it feels a little bit different. Like, is 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 is, is what I'm saying? Make it like. Do you think I'm 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 overthinking that? Does that make any sense? I think a little bit because there's a couple of
2: different tried and true strategies to start a draft, right? Like, like a chessboard. You know, going running back heavy and, and, and being more paper fragile you can go more wide receiver heavy and go zero running back Uh, generally speaking the guys that you want to draft earlier in a draft are going to kind of just be the guys you want to draft eventually you look back at the end of the year and say yep those are the guys that you wanted to have early everyone's sort of starting the chessboard the same way i think once you get later in the draft is when you're going to have more opportunities to to get different and get more creative now don't do what i did a couple of years ago and like aaron Rodgers was talking up uh jake kumro and he had he was having preseason magic and then like every round 18 i was smashing the jake kumro button you know probably too many times i'll be honest and that wasn't good strategy that wasn't a smart way to play you know jake kumro had never done it before in the nfl he had basically no track record of becoming any sort of an every down player and i was just making the leap that he could outplay someone like a marquez valdez scantling and get into the lineup right. on an everyday basis and be a league winner didn't play out that way. And I don't, I don't think that that's exactly the right kind of play. Just, you know, something that has the upside, but also has
1: a floor is the most ideal way to be different. You may, I think it would be different to, if you were going to depend as a running back three on one of the bills guys. And I, I know you're a bills Um, a Bills fan you mentioned it earlier but that's one of the things I told you I wanted to ask you about so if somebody puts a gun to your head this season and tells you you can you can ride with Zach Moss you can ride with Devin Singletary you gotta pick one you gotta do it right now what are you gonna say I'm gonna say Moss
2: you know the existence of Breida in that backfield is interesting to me in terms of the things he can do versus the things that Singletary can do they're not the same player by any stretch of the imagination but I do think that You know Moss has the greater chance of being able to ascend to a more heavy workload in the passing game than Singletary does to ascend to a more heavy load in the run game or at the goal line. So this is where I'm looking at uh, Moss as the kind of guy where I can get him on the cheap and he's got upside to be more than what he already is on a pretty high-powered offense. Whereas Singletary, I just think you're sort of getting what you're getting there. He's much cheaper, which is good. And I'm not, by all means, if you want to speculate on Singletary, I think they're both reasonable gambles. But I think Moss is the one that has more league winning potential or more
1: best ball winning potential. Uh, people are just so split on that, man. We got Chris Trippasso on the, a couple of weeks ago. He's from the Buffalo area. For, does does the draft stuff for CBS Sports, and he has a sneaky feeling this year about Singletary. So it's it's i mean that's why it's such a hard that's why it's such a hard thing i i i think probably the best answer is i don't want to, i don't want to have either but you you had a gun to your head and somebody's telling you that, that that you had to pick one um what about what about is something you have to put a gun to your head about uh, drafting calvin Ridley as a top five wide receiver this year are or are you happy about that he's saying he should be ready for the season or does that make you worry considering that he's coming off a of foot surgery and now i i have heard the narrative floated out there that You know, when Antonio Brown left, everybody said that Juju was going to go, you know, ape. Um, I don't think that's I don't I don't think Juju is Calvin Ridley. I don't think that is the best comparison. But he's certainly got some detractors out there saying now that Julio has gone, you know, to the moon with Calvin Ridley. Some people are saying, well, tap the brakes a little bit. Which side do you fall on or are you somewhere in the middle? I know uh,
2: I started this broadcast by saying that I was qualifying as radio gold. I don't think a lot too much math talk qualifies as radio gold, but for <laughs> me, I'm not worried about Ridley because of any kind of surgeries. he's having. They're, they're saying he's going to be ready. He's going to be out in the field as number one option by far on that team. The problem that I have is that, you know, you, if I project him at 27% target share, yeah, he's certainly going to be one of the better wide receivers in pro football, but on a team that I'm concerned about how much they're actually going to score over the course of the year. And then you factor in, you know, thanks to, you know, Josh ADHD's usage app on rotor grinders, uh, you know, we had 30% targets for Ridley without Julio,
1: but that well, that's what I was going to ask is I was going to ask if there was a way to filter that on that tool. So that, so that was at 30% when Julio wasn't in.
2: Yep. in the seven games that he didn't play, he was at 30% when he, when Ridley, when Julio was there it was twenty one and a half percent, but then you factor in pits coming in here. I think by most people's objective opinion Pitts is going to come in and be basically the wide receiver two in terms of target share. So let's say you gave Russell gauge 17% or so of the targets, and that leaves maybe 20% for, uh, f- you know, for pits, you know, that's a pretty big chunk over what Hearst was getting at 14%. And certainly gauge was at 17% last year. So, you know, that's, that's more share that's coming off the table, in my opinion, with Julio leaving uh, and, and, you know Ridley in the lineup alone without Julio. We saw a little bit of a sample of that. We kind of know what we're going to get, but this new situation is maybe just a little bit less than that. So I'm not saying that we're not talking about Ridley as a top wide receiver in, in the game, but people are drafting him like very, very high this season. So I'm not like super bullish on it. It's, it's just a matter of this team's maybe not that great, and the situation is probably not going to merit for, you know, a full 17-game season, 30% target share. That's so, so elite. And it's really tough to get there. I'm not sure that we'll see it.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
1: But you, but your your initial your initial run, ha, you're you're gonna start out Kyle Pitts with a twenty percent target share.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna do that for now, and I think that's pretty reasonable. Because no, you're no, I talking think about
1: it is too. It just sounds it sounds big. It sounds big. But hey, man, he's he's he's, he's awesome. He's awesome. And you just, and you look at the vacated targets.
2: Well, look look at these guys that are you know when you we talk about Julio leaving, look at the target share that's going to be left on the table you know all of julio's targets are certainly going to get split between Pitts and the rest of the guys i I don't think ridley's going to move that much but arthur smith do you think he's going to look at this personnel and say hey we got to get more wide receivers on the field no i mean no they got hayden Hurst.
1: they've they've got probably two former first round pick then you have the highest the highest drafted tight end in history that actually looks more like a wide receiver than a tight end. I mean, they could almost pro- think of him as the Julio replacement. It's like, you know, it's crazy. So, so you're going to shift that wide receiver target share over to the tight end position.
2: And I think Matt Ryan is, you know, we've seen sort of what he is with Hearst there. I think they're ultimately going to have like that typical wide receiver two role for pits. And that's where 20% comes from. That's, that's pretty high end wide receiver too, but you also got to remember, he's the wide receiver. Like four, three or four plus the tight end, and that's really where I'm coming up
1: with that. Any of the, in, in, as, as you're doing that projection, in, in, in any of the sort of shitty kind of ancillary Falcons guys come to mind is one. And and Pitts clearly is not somebody we, we consider in that group. Any of the, um, any, any of them come to mind is at all worthy of consideration? Maybe late in your drafts, I'm, I'm sure it's probably Russell Gage who you have the highest target share for.
2: Yeah, and that's really the only place you're going to go. You're not going to take Zacchaeus or, you know, like some scrub like Frank Darby if he makes a team. Like, you know, you're not really going to take make that leap here. I'll play the
1: shit out of Frank Darby in
2: preseason. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see about that. But uh, he's certainly on. I got a giant list going, he's certainly on that list. Yeah. Um, Gage is going to be, you know, similar to what he was doing last year with Julio out, in my opinion. And you're going to be seeing probably pretty consistent weeks with maybe a couple of spikes, which is fine for best ball. You know, like if you're getting him on the cheap, like you might end up needing his 9, 10, 11 points uh, to come into your lineup. I'm not
1: overwhelmed by it, but it's certainly the guy among that group that has the best chance. What do you think about Rashad Penny's chances now that he has had another small – they're calling it a small knee surgery. This guy has sucked ever since he got into the league. He's He's, he's maybe – He's maybe I mean you're the expert on players who suck. Do you think do you, do you think Rashad Penny sucks? Do you think he or do you think that he's do you think he's ever gonna make it? Um it's just it's always something or another. We've seen the flashes, obviously a great prospect, but Chris Carson is a dude who can get sometimes get in the fifth round of these drafts. Um what do you think? Is Chris Carson a good buy? What about Rashad Penny? Does Jamino say he sucks? I'm gonna wear that with a badge of honor. An expert in guys who suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um
2: look, Penny. I don't know that he actually does suck when he's healthy, but he's just really not been healthy. Right. Uh, I don't think a season is done. It doesn't sound like Carol was saying that he was, you know, I mean, are they going to
1: cut him or something? Like, why do you think that he's done? Oh, no. Just is his career all but done. I mean, he's got only one more year of a contract with Seattle. I think, I think it's one more year. Um, I guess there's a, there, I would have, I, I'd like to look into that, see what they're, I think they have another year to where they can exercise a the, he's used a first-round pick, so I think his next year they can maybe talk about a fifth-year option. I, I, I guess I'd have to look into it. But um, look, things have gone downhill. I mean, they've they've re-signed Chris Carson for a, you know veteran running back money. They've they used a first-round pick on Rashad Penny. It, looking back, it was a terrible pick. I mean, it's just like do you think he's do you, do you think he's on his way out?
2: I'm not sure. I mean, I think he's not on his way to prominence this year. I mean, Carson's the guy clearly like, doesn't matter what's going to happen. You're, you're going to see, you know, a quarter of the rush attempts go Penny's way. He's probably not going to be involved in the passing game. And you just, you don't, you're not even thinking about him really for fantasy football. I mean, you need a Carson injury, which is not insane, but they got, they still got other guys there that can come in for rush attempts. I think they still have DJ Dallas. Uh, I don't know if Travis Homer will still be a thing, but he's still lurking. There's, really no reason to get excited about Rashad Penny for this year coming off the injury, especially given that he's had surgery. Now you talk about Carson, uh, you can buy him at his ADP. He's, he's, I wouldn't call it like a raging buy, but I would call it, you know, a 32.7. I'll take him over JK Dobbins right now. I'll take him over Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who's going like a 21 on underdog. I don't, I mean, I think he's a good talent and I think that there's potential for that to pay off. It's just not, I'd rather take Carson at 30 and it's cheese.
1: Is, is, is his underdog ADP 32.7. That's right. So, that's so, 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 so he's going. So in PPR leagues. So in PPR leagues, he's just going a whole lot later as far as the ADPs on ESPN fan tracks and some of those other spots. Because I'm, I mean, I've seen him going and I've seen him going well into the fourth, well into the fourth round, sometimes the late fourth round in some some of these simulations. But here's the thing, the best ball ADP on I, off, oftentimes the ADP for these best ball tournaments is the sharper players who are kind of, sort of playing in these. And um, we see that we see as we get to August, we see those those ADPs tend to converge. So I'll, I'll bet you that Carson, especially given this penny news, is some, and given the news that he's going a lot higher on underdog than I thought might be somebody that we see move up. I handicapped every single game of the season
2: because I'm like eighth, ace Rothstein now apparently. <laughs> but uh, I came up with probably five favorable spots for Carson, and that's a, You know, below average rush or, or worse in terms of his strength of schedule for rushing. So I don't think that the schedule for Carson is all that great going up against San Francisco a couple times and some other good teams. Uh, and the two weakest are stashed down week 14, week 17. So, you know, if he's not like killing it for you and you're taking him at 30, you know, he might have some risk of not being like a standout, like league winner uh, this season. But, you know, you can't base your entire fantasy football decision on strength of schedule. So it's not enough for me to not be
1: wanting to draft him. That's for sure. He's got talent. Well, one of the better strength of schedules, at least at the at least at least the um, wide receiver position for, um, for, uh redraft leagues and also just as far as just the actual you know game script stuff uh for if you just look at the projected win totals is the san francisco 49ers and whenever you look at that backfield um you say well if they're gonna if they could be in good game scripts because they have this you know pretty i mean as far as projected wins like 10 less projected wins going against them than some of these teams that are halfway down the halfway down the list when you look at that, you say, well, I'd like to be involved in the running game there. Let me ask you about a couple of these questions, one for running back, one for wide receiver, one for quarterback, one for tight end. Which would you rather have? And they're going in separate spots uh, or they're going in, in similar spots, similar tiers in, in in redraft. We just mentioned the 49ers running backs, Trey Sermon, the rookie, or Damian Harris in New England?
2: Well, like you said, I love the 49ers, I love their schedule and I love their run game, but you know, maybe mid season, we might see Jeff Wilson come back and suddenly we've got a crowded situation there. Mostert still lurking around there. I think ultimately I like the pedigree of Harris and the fact that he's going to be the lead dog in an offense that is definitely going to be run centric and play defense. I mean, that's really how they're going to try to win this year. I I wouldn't say they're going to try to hide the quarterback, but you know, Cam Newton had a questionable year last season. They've got, you know, at best Mac Jones or Stidham behind him. If for some, some reason, Cam couldn't survive the entire season. I think they're going to definitely rely on the running game. And Harris, you know, is definitely going to be the bastion of that. And I think that's particularly going to be true near the goal. I could be wrong about that, but that seems to be how I'm going to lay it out here in my projections.
1: Yeah, I, I think that I, I agree with you. I have Damian Harris, just a slight tick above Trey Sermon as of now. I'm open to changing it if we get closer in and they're just they, – the word is they're just feeding Trey Sermon in practice or whatever. That, that could definitely uh, definitely be up for amendment. All right, so staying out, kind of speaking to Trey Sermon out on the West Coast, for redraft this year, and let's just say for PPR, Keenan Allen or DK Metcalf. <laughs> so look,
2: I, re- I have a lot of respect for Keenan Allen and what he's been able to do, but Metcalf is an Adonis in his age twenty four season who's done absolutely nothing but rip people's faces off to the tune of twenty two hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns so far. I- I'll be projecting him for more fantasy points and touchdowns than Keenan Allen, and I think that the face melter factor, you know, factor coupled with the projection is enough to- for me to say that I'm going to take DK Metcalf more often. Uh, Allen and the Chargers going to see. You know, five of the weakest projected defenses, though, you know, Vegas, Houston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Minnesota. But ultimately, I'm still going to take the talent and the sex appeal of DK over the pretty decent
1: schedule of Keenan Allen. Are you buying any of the... uh any of the Joe Lombardi, sort of the new offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi there, the way that he would use Michael Thomas and stuff on those slants, it could just be, from a PPR perspective, could be big for Keenan Allen. I, I, I know that you're clearly much more bullish on DK Metcalf, but are you buying anything into the, that uh, coach centric talk that our boy, the Podfather, would want to slap the words out of my mouth for even bringing up? How how many more
2: targets is Keenan Allen going to get? I mean, the guy gets like fifteen target games. I mean, that's how many more targets true. do
1: you want? Yeah, that's probably that's probably true. Probably true. Uh, all right. What about for tight end? How about this? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna hear this argument after the big three, and you know, Kyle Pitts could even enter the conversation for the big three if people get too crazy. But people people are going to argue, Jim. You know, they're going to argue Kyle Pitts or Mark Andrews. Do you have a Do you have a dog in that fight? Aren't the big three Kittle Kelsey and Waller? Yeah What, what did I, I say? Like
2: Well, you said the big three, like I mean, if yeah. you had some else you had, you' got four, so
1: right, right, know, anyway was right. I was going say I was going to say maybe the, maybe we could hear the drum beat so strong for Kyle Pitts that he could he, I could say, I, 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 it's not too crazy for, for me to imagine come August people say that you should take Kyle Pitts in the top three if things fall just right. No, I think when it, when it comes down
2: to it, you're going to see Pitts closer to where people have Andrews and they will up to those top guys but for sure. I mean, 20% targets is nice, but I mean, I still think you're going to be looking at touchdown expectation a little bit lower for the Falcons. I still think you're going to be looking when you compare these two guys, Pitts and Andrews, that ultimately Pitts having the more play volume and more projected target share is going to win out over Mark Andrews, who plays in that Ravens offense, that's just going to run the ball an awful lot. And they actually added a couple of additional targets this season. Not saying that that's going to slide a ton of action away from him, but I just think that, you know, Lamar Jackson is ultimately not great for the fantasy options
1: surrounding him. All right. Finally, for the quarterbacks, and I, I, just, I just have a couple of questions for you after this, but just as far as this game, this or that, this guy versus that guy, Ryan Tannehill or who's just gotten Julio Jones or Joe Burrow who just uh, there's just been the reporting today saying that he's playing on being fine and completely ready to go for for week 1. I think you hear the argument that you got to get
2: the Bengals because the Bengals have a terrible defense, they're going to be in shootouts all year. That's probably true, but I don't know if the Titans defense is all that much better. So suddenly you've got an efficient quarterback who's proven it a couple years in a row that he can be efficient with you know, Corey Davis and some pretty jabronish other receivers. And now he's getting Julio on deck. You know, Ferguson's still a pretty good receiver. Uh, you've got the big dog in the backfield. I'm liking Tannehill in this spot for consistency reasons. I think that Burrow might be able to have bigger individual games. I think you're going to like Burrow more for DFS than you're going to like Tannehill uh, more often than not. And because you're not going to be able to pay afford the stack, quite frankly, you're not going to be able to afford Julio and AJ Brown mm-hmm. and Tannehill together. But you'll be able to probably get weeks of you know Burrow, Boy, you know Chase,
1: etc. Uh, if, if the in those big Derrick Henry chalk weeks, maybe if you paid up for paid up for a double stack there, that could be fun. Could could be fun in tournaments. But yeah, you're going to be able to stack the Bengals a lot cheaper because they're going to have three wide receivers that everybody is not. Exactly sure who to take, and so let me ask you about those guys. If you had to pick the for PPR redraft, if you have to list the Bengals wide receivers in the order that you would take them, between T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd, how would you how 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 would you uh, how how would you rank those three?
2: Going off the underdog ADPs, I'm taking Higgins first because he's ten slots cheaper than Chase, and I quite frankly, just projecting him for a couple of extra targets anyway. Uh, Boyd, you know, his price is 20 spots cheaper than both of those guys. And, you know, the Bengals are going to be trailing, like I said. You know, they're they're not going to run, you know, two tight ends sets and everything when they're trailing in these games. They're going to be getting multi-wide receiver sets out there. You're going to see Boyd on the field a lot this year, running routes when it counts. And I think that he can – he could certainly come up with enough spike weeks to pay off that price tag in, in that weird area of the draft for wide receivers. And then Chase is the last guy that I would take here. And not, I mean, obviously he's one of the better prospects that's come around in quite a while, and he's going to make the team better. But you know, I just don't know that you should pay that premium for him when
1: these other guys have just as good a chance week in week out to produce. Do you? Do, uh, is it too much trade secrets for me to ask you if that's how you is 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 that how you have the target the target shares?
2: No, I think Chase Chase will be above Boyd for sure in target share. I I mean, the guy played with you know. Is this a shower narrative situation? Correct me if I'm wrong. Like we're we're (laughs) talking about
1: college and showered Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. The the shower narrative definitely going to (laughs) yield more targets than the Tyler (laughs) Boyd, uh, you know, Bengal shower narrative. But ultimately, I I still think that Boyd for the for the price tag in these in these uh, best ball drafts and
1: maybe even in season long too is a little bit better value are you buying do you think the chase edmonds is a value down in arizona where where, where he's going do you think there's any some people were saying that it could be just an epic tease and the people are going to pay up for chase edmonds and the people who just paid all the way down for james Conner are going to end up just crapping in their cereal and you know making making them cry all season long which side of that do you sit on wait people are drafting james Conner. yeah some people are they're no, saying they're, yeah, just, <laughs> well, tell him to stop that.
2: First, if, you talk to, if, you, if you know a friend out there who's drafting James Conner, just help them out. I mean, this is, a, this is an early down grinder who's not going to be getting a ton of the targets. You want targets uh, from your running backs in fantasy football from everyone not named Derrick Henry. So you're, you're looking at the price tag here on Edmonds, and it really depends what you're expecting from them. If you're expecting him to get a ton of rush attempts and be the goal linebacker, I'm not so sure that's a lock. But if you're expecting someone who's going to have over you know double digit target share on an offense that plays really fast. And you know, you think he can hold off Eno Benjamin if in the case that Connor goes down, he's injury prone, right? Like that that's your upside there with Connor. If, If you want him to be a league winner, is that he you know Connor misses time and then he's actually getting more with rush air too. Bottom line is I don't I expect this price tag to be pretty fair. On Edmonds, but I do. If I do need a running back in that area of the draft, I I, I love taking him over other guys in that quote
1: unquote running back dead zone. He is Chris Jimino. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Jimino. C R I C H R I S G I M I N O. So Chris Jimino, Jimino with a G. Uh, you can find all of his content on Roto Grinders. We talked about the ownership stuff. But we talked about everything he'll be doing with the uh, preseason. Uh, everything getting into the season with the DFS, all that you need there. Jimina, where else can, what else do you, anything you want to plug, anything else you're doing? What you're working, you said you're working on season long projections right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, you're going to want to come over to Rotor Grinders for NFL for preseason for sure. Right. We're going to have the optimizer. We've got uh, projections coming for that. I mean, when you're talking about projecting preseason, you're not talking about as much precision, but we're definitely going to do our very best to get you some quality uh, quantitative advice to put into the optimizer for you to build multiple lineups. It's fun. If you've never played preseason DFS, it's, you know, we're going to be hanging out in discord. We're going to be having a good time over there, but certainly for the season, for the regular season, our optimizer can do it all. dot slash premium. Come join us, hang out uh, and uh, try to win some money.
1: Yep. And you guys, you guys know me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm uh... a, I'm a I'm a roto grinders dude, man. Love everything that everything that they do over there. Proud to be a small part of some of the production stuff, and uh, could not agree with Jimino more about that. All right, I got I got one more question for you, Jimino, before I get you out of here, and it's what everybody wants to know. It's the hot it's a hot dad summer, right, Jimino? What about Odell Beckham? Has he turned into an old man? Is it like is he just an old dad bod man now? Or are we ever going to get back the Odell Beckham of old? No we're not